Hi, everyone. My name is Andrew Brilliant, and I'm the Director of Operations and the Head of the Venture Studio at Workbench SC. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Todd Hirschberg, and I'm going to be doing this podcast with Bob Singh as well, our president. Hi, my name is Bob Singh. I'm the president and founder of Workbench. Okay. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm Todd Hirschberg. Uh, I'm, uh, I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life and an avid networker uh, who strongly believes in, you know, the power of community. I, I have big, big quotes around that, but it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, we're dealing with virtual communities now, but uh, nonetheless. Absolutely. Well, Todd, we're really, really excited to have you on the show today. Um, I want to start off with our, our typical leading question, and that is, what do you think the difference is between an entrepreneur and a businessman or woman? Uh, well, the, the classic saying is that uh, an entrepreneur is someone who's willing to work 100 hours a week uh, to avoid working 40 hours a week. Uh, <laughs> but I think that is, it, it's a little weird a saying, but it is a lot of truth. Uh, an entrepreneur doesn't mind working insane hours, insane conditions to see their vision brought to life, as opposed to a business person who is usually more focused on, um, you know, just keeping things going. Uh, an entrepreneur wants to, by the end of the project, have something that is run by business people, perhaps, uh, if they're lucky. But the business person's view is make no waves. Uh, make sure that things just grow at a steady, slow pace, uh, as opposed to that crazy growth that uh, entrepreneurs are, are so addicted to. There's an interesting point there, actually. You're talking about how their goal might be to have their company eventually run by business people. But also going off what you were saying about how, how you think business people have less of a growth mindset, how can an entrepreneur adapt a businessman to their climate so that they can still access those skills, but in an environment that's fast and agile? I think it's always a good thing to have both. If you take a look at a lot of the successful Silicon Valley um, partnerships of entrepreneur versus business person, uh, there's usually one person who really has that entrepreneurial mindset and is go, 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 go. And somebody else is that voice of reason <laughs> <laughs> um, let's take a look at apple for example uh apple you have steve jobs who was just phenomenal go 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 he had the vision he had the drive he had the push he wanted to create he wanted to change the world and his business partner was Waz. and <laughs> Waz again a brilliant brilliant guy but a little slower pace wants to make sure that things that the details are actually handled before before you move on to the next thing and that balance between the two of them i think is what made apple successful in the beginning 
the car is no good without brakes, no matter how fast it is. Exactly. And then, um, sounds kind of like me and Andrew right now. I might have slipped on it a bit. I, I feel like I've got a lot of a heavy gas pedal now, too. But. Yeah. Uh, I think we, um, we, a lot of entrepreneurs work on the 80% is good enough. Um, and, you know, it's like, okay, this is, this is 80% done. Let's move on to the next thing. It's good enough. Someone else will come behind and clean up the details. And, yeah. And that's, that's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, for example, uh, the startup I'm running right now, uh, I, I'm the entrepreneur and my business partner is an attorney. And every time I say, all right, let's go for it. He, he says, all right, you know, hang on, Todd. You know, let, let's. You might yeah. end up in jail, Todd. Yeah, let, let's, let's make sure we actually, you know, incorporate before we start sending out contracts. <laughs> that, that sort of thing. So, Wait, so, so Todd, do you think if, if you have two entrepreneurs instead of an entrepreneur and a businessman that they're not going to be successful? I don't necessarily think that's, that's so. Uh, but I think you need both both viewpoints to be represented. Right. Um, so it may be that your advisors are more detail oriented. It may be that the team you build around you is more operationally focused. It may be that you've got a board of directors whose job it is to sort of gently apply the brakes a little bit. They want to see you grow fast, but they want to make sure you, you, you know, move fast and break things is fine as long as some of that gets fixed along the way. Right, right. <laughs> so today's talk, I want to focus it mostly on networking. And this is a, a buzzword. It's something you hear in almost any industry now, but I think it's sort of vaguely discussed. And I think because of that, it creates... Um, a fear for people. I think they, they still feel uncomfortable with networking because it's such a broad term. So I want to talk with you uh, because I think you're a super connector. Um, and <clears throat> I want to talk with you more specifics about networking, how to grow an effective network, how to maintain a relationship with so many people. So um, to start off with that, given the current stance of the COVID pandemic, how can one network right now effectively? It's really not as hard to network now as I think people fear. All networking is, it's meeting people, talking to people. Um, and, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of folks who are naturally outgoing and that doesn't bother them at all. But there's also a large number of introverts who are just terrified by the idea of getting out and, and talking to people. Yep. Introverts, now is your time to shine because you don't have to necessarily go out and talk to individuals. You can do something like a webcast. You can do something along the lines of a, of a webinar you can live stream something, even if it's just something as simple as, hey, this is a cool tip I learned today. And if you do that, 
and you get something that's sort of vaguely interesting, people will come out to you. Uh, I've always, in the old days when people actually met face to face, I would tell introverts, the absolute best way for you to meet people is to volunteer at an event. Because if you're volunteering at an event, people will come to you. Um, we met we met you at SoCal Startup Day about an hour volunteering, right? Uh, and and sort of what I'm gathering from part of what you're saying is is the need to actually be active on social media and to post on LinkedIn. Is that something you you think is is necessary? Um, I, I am guilty of not doing that as often. As <laughs> so, um, you know, it uh, my my wife is currently teasing me about the most engaging thing I have put out on social media in the last month is we had a swarm of bees set up on our uh, <laughs> on our balcony, and I was posting pictures of literally thousands of bees uh, five feet away from me. That's frightening. Uh, it's not. Bees are actually quite docile when they first swarm, so it's it's not a problem. But uh, yeah, I know weird things. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I think if you if you are an introvert, you should be trying to do that sort of thing. Um, I am a very active networker in other ways. Um, Let's discuss them. Yeah, well, uh, so on LinkedIn, I uh, run several large networking groups and organizations. So in Orange County, I run a group called Ocean, which is Orange County Executives and Networkers. And that's about 15,000 members who live and work in and around Orange County. Um, I have a foodies group because I love to eat and I love to be able to network with other people who love to eat and restaurateurs and food industry folks. And that's about 20,000 members. I then run a trade group site on LinkedIn for fashion retailers. And that's somewhere north of 73, 74,000 people globally. So you really are a super connector. Well, but that's just creating a community. That's not necessarily networking in and of itself. However, one of the things I believe in is there is no sense in having these large groups of people if you're not doing something to help them, if you're not doing something to bring value to these groups. Um, So, for example, in the foodies group, because we have a large number of restaurateurs who are currently really struggling in this COVID economy, I reached out and I said, okay, here we have this group. Tell me who you are and what you need. And let's see if I can find somebody else in this group who can help service that need. And we had, uh, for example, somebody on the group who they had just launched their new line of frozen roasted hatch chili peppers. 
Well, normally the way you'd get that out is you'd go to trade shows, you'd go and you'd meet people who are sales reps, you'd meet with the grocers, you'd meet with the transshippers, the pack, and you can't meet with people anymore. So he was sort of in this quandary of what do you do with these literally millions of pounds of frozen hatch chilies? Um, so I happen to know in the group that there is a gentleman who had recently sold his business uh, to a large conglomerate that deals in distribution of frozen, um, mostly lemon products, but they do deal with some ethnic foods, uh, Mexican, uh, Chilean, etc. And I said, this is a perfect fit. Let me introduce the two of you. And it's not something he may have realized on his own, but it's something that I knew about. Let me help connect these people and create some value for both of them. And that's sort of where the value of these groups come in. And that I know somebody who knows somebody and I can introduce them. To me, that's a critical piece of networking. You're bringing value to the people you know. Uh, one of the things I always tell people in the real world, and this is audio so you don't see the air quotes, but real world networking where you're face to face is don't go to a networking event prepared to close a deal. That's not what a networking event is. A networking event is a place where you should be going and just meeting people. Because every person you meet may become part of your network. They may become somebody you just met and you know, there's no real connection. But if you're an avid networker, there is always a connection. There is always something in common between any two human beings on earth. And a good networker tries to find that connection because you then you're adding right? value on a one-to-one -one basis. And if you know and you understand what value this person is seeking, I may not be able to provide that directly, but I may know somebody who can. And then you're just adding value. And there's an old saying that your network is your net worth. And admittedly, a lot of that comes from multi-level marketing, which I avoid like a plague, but it is a good rule of thumb. The more people you know, the more people that you're really networking with, the more people that you're really helping, the more value you have as a networker. Now, let's say I finally reach a point where, oh, I need this. Now I've got thousands of people who I've helped. And if I've helped them and then I go and I ask a favor of them, the odds of them returning that favor are much, much higher than if I had just cold called some stranger. Right. And that's where it becomes more effective. Correct. And I've always felt, 
And there are people who, you know, have different philosophies on networking. For me, I've always felt that a large network is better. Um, there are others who say there are others who say that a, a smaller network is better because you you have more time that you can spend with each of those people, and that's a very valid point. It's not the method that I use. It's not the approach I take. Uh, with thirty thousand followers on LinkedIn. Excuse me. It's like with thirty thousand followers on LinkedIn. Well, yeah, yeah, thirty thousand is the is the limit of first degree connections. Uh, <laughs> So yes, um, every couple of weeks I go through and I say, okay, who haven't I spoken to in 10 years? Uh, or who do I know who has passed on? <laughs> so, so I delete their, uh, th their connection. Uh, you know, I'll usually try to fire off an email first you know, to see if they're still around. <laughs> um, but every now and again, I purge 50, 60 people. Um, that way, if I meet new and wonderful people, who, you know, we can help each other or I can bring value. It's like, awesome, let's connect and let's see what we can do uh, to, to help each other down the line. And so before this interview, since I, I don't know how large the audience is, I just purged out another 50 people. So if people want to reach out and connect, just drop by hey, everyone. and uh, <laughs> let's, let's get to know each other. Um, but there's always something. Um, and, you know, if you just send this blind info and we have nothing in common, um, let, let's talk before we, we connect. It, let's just try to figure out, hey, there's got to be something in common. Um, and I have never found an individual where we don't have some commonality. What's what's your craziest story? Okay, my my craziest. <laughs> ever, all right, here we go. Um, so, I was with a startup in the Bay Area. I had been brought in uh, to head up the growth marketing, and there was a team in place. So when you come in, you've got a team. First thing you do is you sit down and you get to know them because right. these are people you're going to be working with. Yeah, and uh, so. One of the women on my team, I sat down and said, oh, you know, so what's your background? And she says, oh, well, you know, back east, I was doing, oh, from back east. Great. I was born and raised on the East Coast. You know, where? Oh, outside of Philadelphia. Hey, my wife was born and raised outside of Philadelphia. I had an office outside of Philly. Where? Oh, Delaware County. Okay, where in Delaware County, because that's where my what? Well, my family is from a town called Drexel Hill. Oh, oh okay. My <laughs> wife is from Drexel Hill. Where in Drexel Hill? And she starts to name the street, and I take out my phone, and I call my wife, and I say, what was your address on that street? This is a street that is three blocks long. <laughs> so turns out that this woman I met in San Francisco, who was going to be working under me, her aunt, the one that she is named for, was my wife's friend who lived two doors down. That's they were children. 
So there is always something you have in common. It may <laughs> not be quite that obscure or bizarre, but there is always something. And uh, it's your job as a networker and, in my opinion, as a human being, just to get to know other human beings and find that connection. Uh, the more you do that, the more interesting stories you have to tell uh, yeah. the next time you're doing a podcast. That's perfectly said, uh, Todd. Um, on a different topic, let's talk about the SoCal startup community. I feel like a lot of people don't know enough about it. Uh, it's always New York City or San Francisco and, and Silicon Valley, right? But the SoCal startup community is growing and you're prom you're prominent there, right? So what can you tell us about it? Um Believe it or not, I'm just coming back into it. Uh, we just moved down from Silicon Valley uh, a couple of months ago. But when I left, there was a total of one incubator in Orange County. Absurd. Um, and I sat on the advisory board for it, but it was that was it. There was, there was one. Uh, <laughs> uh, now I come back and... Every day I'm finding out about some new incubator or accelerator or this venture, venture studio, uh, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Carrie Ransom is uh, is running the venture studio, OC4V.com, which is really an amazing uh, thing that they're kicking off. Uh, I've I've joined and I'm getting a lot of value from it not just as a networker, but as, as an entrepreneur. And it's very cool. Some of the, some of the webinars they're doing and some of the, the virtual coffee hours. That are, that are pretty cool. So what do you think Southern California needs then? What are, what are we missing that's holding us from, from, cause ideas exist everywhere. There's never a shortage of ideas. Right. So it's about how we can put them well, into good use. I, I think right now, Southern California is still missing, but working on building um, a solid infrastructure. So one of the things that Silicon Valley has is if you want to do anything with software, you have this massive collection of really talented programmers. You've got database engineers, you've got hardware engineers, you've got programmers, you've got uh, visionaries, you've got optics people, you've got uh, wireless people. And it's a very driven mindset that has pulled all of these people together. And if you have multiple companies, you'll have people who will have bounced between them and just built their resume, built that cross-fertilization that it takes to really have a robust environment. Uh, unfortunately, it has driven the real estate there through the roof because now you've got a really large number of really high-paid people in a very small area. <laughs> so yeah. the real estate gets pretty competitive. Uh, down here, even though UCI and USC and UCLA and there are some of the universities that are starting to say, hey, if you are a tech person, you don't have to go to New York. You don't have to go to Silicon Valley. 
we're starting to see these little enclaves of uh, you know Silicon Beach <laughs> yeah. forming. Um, it, it it's small but growing, um, and these little enclaves starting to pop up, and they're even though they're you know one in Orange County, one in L.A. You know, it, it's there are still people willing to cross the orange curtain <laughs> to go between them uh, if the need arises. So there's starting to be a little bit of that technology cross-fertilization. But the more different pieces that you have, so right now there's a little biotech, there's a little programming, there's a little uh, you know, hardware tech, but the more of these different pieces that come together, the more robust this infrastructure is going to become. And I think we need more of that. So more different uh, thing. So you'll have that cross fertilization. And that's, that's absolutely a, a driving mission for us at Workbench and, and almost perfectly sums up uh, why we created Workbench. But I want to know more about what you think students can do to develop that infrastructure, because I think it has to drive in many ways from, from bottom up. Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the things that the students have to do is they have to be willing to stay. And that's sort of a, a, a strange thing while you're in college. You're not looking, well, you know, six years from now, I still want to be in L.A., but for years, it was, if you were a technology person in Orange County, if you were coming out of UCI with a, a software you know, focus, your thought immediately the time you hit your junior year is, well, am I looking at New York? Am I looking at San Francisco? Nobody wanted to stay in Orange County uh, because there really wasn't much opportunity for them. But if you've got these little venture enclaves, if you've got these little uh, little incubators, these accelerators starting to pop up, now people may be willing to build something and stay here. And the minute they start accepting that sort of a mindset, saying, I'm going to build it here, then they start bringing in the infrastructure from surrounding areas and it may be something as simple as hey we're building something in optics so we're going to need mentors in the optics space and there may not be any here yet but you get two or three companies pop up now all of a sudden people who have you know 20 30 40 year career in optics may say hey you know maybe i'll move south out of the really expensive real estate in the Bay Area. I'll move out of the really expensive and cold places in New York City and come to Southern California where I can be warm, live a little cheaper, and still have my field exist in some form. And I think that may really help build out the community here. That may help build the mindset that this is a new place to be. 
And, you know, but it's all going to start with those students creating things and building it here. So would you consider the SoCal region sort of untouched potential for ventures? I, I think it's starting to get touched. Uh, and I, you know, I, I may want to change that wording because it, it sounds a little me too. -ish. But it's... Uh, I think it's starting to grow here. I think, you know, there are enough things starting to happen. UCI is encouraging uh, their students to stay. USC is encouraging their students to build it here. Uh, you guys are a classic example of that. You know, Workbench is build it here. And I think if you build things here and you build a support structure, for these companies. And you want to you want to build for the future, not just for now. You know, right. it's one thing to say, okay, we're going to build a company with students. Well, guess what? Those students graduate. What are you doing to encourage them to stay here? Are you providing them with mentorship here? Are you providing them with uh, advisory boards here? Are you providing them with finance options here? Because if all of that is here, then the students are willing to stay. If they're not, then it's like, well, you know, most entrepreneurial startups are going to need some cash inflow at some point. It's like, okay, well, if there's no money here, I'll go where the money is. I'll okay. go where the infrastructure is. And so I think it's building for the future. The students have to have the mindset, but, you know, we as more established individuals, we need to say, all right, what can we do to encourage that to be here? What can we do to encourage those students, help build that mindset for the students? Um, I think it's interesting that there's not more of an angle taken with entertainment technology in LA. Well, there, there is, we're starting to see a lot of that up in uh, Santa Monica starting to see some of that in Long Beach where it's entertainment tech related. Uh, there's a lot of digital art development. Uh, there's some animation studios that are kind of popping up along the fringes there. Uh, there are some strange and wonderful things that are looking at where the future of entertainment may be. Um, I mean, Netflix is starting to look at spaces down here and they are very focused on not what entertainment is now, but what entertainment is going to be for the next 20, 30 years. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting intersection between, between the two. Because, you know, there's, there's endless, um, and I think this is, is true for a lot of places, but especially in a metropolis like LA, it's like there's so much human talent. Absolutely. And, and you make the great point, it's about keeping it here. And I think Andrew, on top of that, this kind of goes back to um, the fact that we don't see the connection between entertainment and tech is maybe because at the root of the problem, there isn't a unified system that connects everyone in LA. So we don't know what's happening. And then we see that at a micro level at USC as well, right? Running Workbench, we see that, that 
students in non-engineering schools and non-business schools never get involved in venture, but they also have ideas that they want to pursue. Right. So Absolutely. at every level of the, of the chain, there's a, there's a, there's a void that isn't being filled that needs to be filled. And these, you know, that's what, another thing we're trying to do on, on a, you know, USC is a great micro scale. Um, we're trying to get the people in the school of cinematic arts and the people in the animation school and the music school into workbench. We want to start bringing together all these different ideas and finding uses for, for talent that would otherwise be overlooked. Absolutely. I, I, I could not agree with you more. There are always opportunities when fields intersect. That, you know, if you take 20 people all in the same field and you put them in a room together, they are going to talk about their field. And they may not, they may explore some edges, but they're not going to go much further than that. The minute you mix people together, the minute you mix, oh, let's say a heart surgeon with a plumber in the same room, you laugh, but that's where the idea for the artificial heart valve came from. Right. This, this was, you know, some doctor talking and, and you know, the plumber is saying, oh, yeah, that's just a ball joint. Yeah, we use that in plumbing all the time. And bingo, there's your idea. So right. these simple little bizarre connections are sometimes where it all happens. Uh I'm working with the, with a startup right now, the, my, my little baby here. And it came from me sitting in a room with models. Um, and yes, I realized this is audio. So you can't see how funny the idea <laughs> of, of, of me sitting around with a bunch of, you know, 18 and 20 year old models is, uh, but I was hearing them talk and I heard a problem that they had that was occurring over and over and over again. And I wanted to say, hey, why don't you just go online and you know go to this site and here's your fix for that problem. So I went online and I looked and there was none. And that's when I said, aha, there's an idea. So that's what we're building. We're building a solution for this problem. Or is this behind the curtain? This is a little behind the curtain right now, so uh, we're, we're not quite ready for prime time. Gotcha. But um, it, it's just, you, you see a problem that you have solved, basically. You know how to solve this problem. It just never occurs to you that it's a problem. Here's somebody else who has a problem, and they don't know how to fix it. And that intersection where you, is where you get those aha moments. And those aha moments, I think, are what drives a lot of entrepreneurs. Right. Say, you know, how is it that this problem has existed for, um, you know, the beginning of time and nobody has thought how simple this solution is? So you just say, I'll go build it. And then, you know, reality kicks in and it takes you 18 months to, to build out your MVP. But, uh, you know, it, that's, that's the reality of it is you, you see a problem that has a solution in your head that's simple. I mean, it, the implementation may be complex, but the solution that you see is a very simple one. And I think that drives a lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah. On, on that note, I feel like 
this is something that I go through as well. I mean, entrepreneurs, when they, when they think of a solution and it's simple, I feel like maybe 50% of the time they won't even pursue it because in their head, the solution is simple and they don't think that's feasible enough or even possible for it to be simple. Right. right? So how do you battle this? I, I think, I think a, a true entrepreneur will just say, screw it. I'm going for it. Yeah. You know, th this is, this is, uh, I think, a, I think a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs, they look at it, they see a really simple solution and they say, oh, that's so simple. Somebody must have already done it. Right. An entrepreneur goes, let me look and see if somebody's done it. And like, if they haven't, or they've done it, but you can do it better. That's where, you know, you, you jump out of the plane and start very quickly knitting a parachute on the way down but uh, you know you just do it and I think the oh somebody else has done it or oh, I don't have the time or I don't have the energy or I don't have the will or the gumption or whatever that's what stops people entrepreneurs right. we have that strange sense of stupidity that makes us say hey you know what <laughs> let's just run full force into this and and then again, I, you know, people like me, I'm running full force at this. And then my lawyer goes, yeah, yeah, yeah calm down, calm down. You know, let, let's, let's, let's stop the eyes and all right, we'll, we'll get there. And, you know, if it were up to the lawyer, it would never get done because they're cautious. If we're up right. to the entrepreneur, it, it, you know, would get done, but might fall apart because we never bothered, you know, with 20% of the rivets in this bridge we're building. But the two together get the job done. And that sort of brings me back to that first point. Yeah, definitely. So just looking at <clears throat> looking at the, the conversation as a whole now, you know, you have to find a way to connect with someone and grow a network. And then once we, once we get enough people doing that and, and driving attention to LA, we can provide entrepreneurs with the resources and the infrastructure they need to to succeed and have successful companies or exits. Exactly. And, and this doesn't have to get built all at once. Right. It would be nice to wave a magic wand, but it, it doesn't work that way. I think you have to look at it and you say, we just have to stay a little bit ahead of where things are going and making sure that, you know, if, if you think of it as building a railway, the train can be on those tracks and moving forward as long as somebody's a couple of feet ahead laying the track for them. <laughs> and, you know, you don't have to build the entire railway yet. We, we can just build a little bit ahead and, and make sure that, you know, the infrastructure, the things that the culture that the ecosystem is going to need to survive are there by the time it gets there. And, Sometimes that means scrambling and sometimes that means more planning than a lot of entrepreneurs are, are comfortable with um, and more scrambling than the lawyers are comfortable with. <laughs> it's, you know, you just have to make sure that you nurture what is there and provide it with the things it needs to grow. Right. And a lot of that is the network. And it's uh, so, for example, when you guys had, you know, the two companies in your cohort, it's like, okay, one, I know a bit about, 
The other one, I really don't know that much about that industry, but I know a lot of people. So who can I introduce them to, to help them grow? Who can I, uh, you know, the one that is involved with food. Awesome. You're looking for restaurant people. I've got restaurant people through my foodies group. Let me introduce you to them. Let me introduce you to mentors. Let me introduce you to people who I know who invest in the food sector. Let me in, you know, introduce you to these people that are going to make your life easier. And if I'm making their life easier and you're making their life easier and the mentors are making their life easier here, why would you bother going somewhere else and throwing away the infrastructure you've already built, throwing away the network that you've already built? You're going to keep your presence here as you grow. And as you grow, that provides more of a reason for other people in similar fields to stick around. So you have that cross-pollinization. You have that, you know, hey, cool, I can pilfer staff from this company that's not doing so well, or somebody who's from my company who's fully vested and they say, cool, you're at a point where I want to go off and start my own thing similar to this. And they do, but they're not going to, they're not going to move to New York. They're going to stay here because this is where their connections are. And it continues like that. And slowly but surely you grow out. And some of these are startups. They're going to die on the vine. It happens. It happens to a large number of startups. Yeah. But now all of a sudden you've got a group of people who were with a company here. They still have their connections here. Even if that company dies, they may stick around and try something new here because this is where their infrastructure is now. Absolutely. Well, Todd, thank you so much, not only for your time today, but your uh, continued dedication to advising uh, Bob and I with Workbench. It's absolutely my pleasure. Um, and uh, I'm always happy to, to help, you know, young companies. I'm always help, happy to mentor. Um, so if you're listening to the podcast, feel free to reach out and just say hello and let's see what I can do to help you and, you know, convince you to either stick around here in, in SoCal <laughs> or, you know, if you're listening to this in New York, man, it's cold there. Come here where it's warm. I hailed from Chicago for that reason. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, yeah. Sh Chicago. Yeah. I don't blame anybody for leaving Chicago. Love Chicago. <laughs> wonderful city. Too freaking cold, man. Way too freaking cold. <laughs> can't, can't get anything done. It's, it's paralyzing. <laughs>